Hi, it's Michelle Turner. Movement 4.0 from babies to astronauts. I thought it would be a great way for you to get to know how you are in space and this was a place to do it in. This tandem's out with my book, You Can't Get to Mars Without Me, The Rules of Gravity. I put together 21 new theories in biological gravity. Did you ever wonder how we're really going to get into outer space? It's not about the rocket. We have to survive. We have to survive in the bodies we're in and we have to learn movement. And this you might consider even new movement, but movement's necessary to where we are in space. However, I'd like to talk a little bit about earth-based movements. When you go to move, your body is opposing gravity, and to do this, it uses rotational movements. Now, this goes down to the muscle-based rotation all the way down to functional-based rotation, meaning a movement that I can produce with some or my entire body. Most movements that they're done on a functional basis are done with your entire body. You might be concentrating on throwing that fist, but you're not thinking of the entire body. So now we're going to take the shoulder girdle down into the arms, down into the wrist. I'm sure a lot of you do maybe hitting, fighting, boxing, golf, mountain climbing, running, baseball, football. You need full counter rotational movements going from your right hand all the way to your left. When that gets interrupted for whatever reason, the float is gone, that that counter response is gone. So now your body's going to have to find another way to do it. This is where a lot of athletes rip something, rip their shoulder, Tiger Woods case, ripped out his knees, ripped their lower backs. I'm talking about a rip. They're trying to put in so much power at that moment And then they get told you didn't stretch, you didn't heat, you didn't ice, you didn't do all of those things. No, for whatever reason, you go to make that movement and the float is gone. What's the float? I'm really not sitting here talking to you, holding up my shoulders, let's say. My shoulders are interacting with my body. And as I move, they should counter. If you don't believe me, ask a two-year-old. This is why they move so much, because everything they're doing is countering. Just like if you picked up a glass of water right now with some ice cubes in it, the cubes would float as you tilted that glass back and forth. It floats. There's a float to our buoyancy. The shoulder girdle is not attached to the chest cavity in that sense for movement. So one of the things that you look at or someone looks at within that to evaluate that is let's say in lying position, you get right into the shoulder girdle And what I call the hanging technique, you're going to come in underneath and barely support the movement within the shoulder. And then at the same time, you're going to present to the elbow. Now at that point, almost like that old toy where you used to pull the the rods out and the ball would float down and so forth, there should be, or like a seesaw. You should feel where you can lightly lift into the that armpit, into the shoulder, as the elbow wants to drop down just slightly. And with the same momentum, the elbow should be able to come back up where the shoulder can go back down. It needs to counter response. We tend to have a same-same or the shoulder gets pretty darn fixed or let's say the wrist gets fixed. So what you're looking for is that float. That's the first place and most efficient place that you can start working on the float is through the humerus. 
Why? Because the humerus attaches to the ulna and the radius, right? Not to do an anatomy. The lower arm has two bones. So the base of the humerus attaches to there. And so the humerus has to be able to float to allow those two bones synchronized movements as well as independent movements. At the same time, now you're into the shoulder girdle. What do you have there? You have the clavicles and the scapulas, the shoulder blades and your collarbone. So again, the humerus attaches to two bones in both directions, which makes it quite unique, but it also shows where the human body is. Now, if this was just an average person, and I don't mean to be insulting, but the average person, not a lot of sports experience coming into me, they're not going to have a type of float that I'm expecting from a high-powered athlete, right? The athlete is there to offer me more information. Why? Because not only are they professional in usually their sports, and professional I mean college and up, or, or just about getting into college, but with a good chance of it. But they've done other things sports-wise, and they're used to putting power behind that movement. But there'll always be immature movements mixing in with that. Now, what would be considered an immature movement? Well, I know a lot of professional athletes that hate their signature, let's say. They don't like to sign, right? That there's, Their writing habits are poor, immature. So you're throwing a ball, let's say, 96 mile an hour. You're able to glide a golf ball down hundreds of yards if it had to, right? But at the same time, those what are called fine motor skills are not available to offer a simple signature, something that you can just that flows out of the arm. So why can you put power down the arm, but you can't put detail down the arm? Uh, you wouldn't see per se uh, cooking, those fine motor skills, chopping a knife. I'm not saying people don't have it, but the more people that do have those skills are more talented. Why? Because these larger muscles are able to interact with fine details of movement. The fine details of movement are really what's going to bring out those rotational movements. So this is where too, as an athlete ages, you really have to watch how you apply your muscles. You want to go through stages maybe during off season where you're a little bit leaner and you're going to go a little bit lighter. That's hard to do. It's always about the competition, but you want those fine muscles to come out within the bulk of the large muscles. This is really important too, and I'm not going to get in too much into it if you're doing like say uh, any kind of pain medicines oxycodone is really rough on your neurological responses. I can't even begin there. It's actually almost impossible for me to work on someone that, that's got a high level of that in their system because their system's not learning from my movements. Also steroid use, right? Because you're getting the inflammation of the muscle as the muscle goes wide instead of long, right? But that's a good example of when you're bulking up for season, you're getting hit, you're getting inflamed. So you're getting wider within the muscle, this is not true for all sports, but a lot of them, especially if there's injuries involved because injuries have that inflammation, but you want those long muscles to be there. So there's ways of playing with it. And one of the easiest ways to get it, and you can probably get it within just, just a session, is going after the humerus float. The humerus really is a good indicator of where it is protecting the movement within the shoulder, which it will do 
But at the same time, if it has to protect the movement within the shoulder, then it's very difficult for you to protect something and then offer new opportunity, which would be those fine motor skills, those detailed skills coming through the hands. Um, that's why there's there's a couple of players out there that like crochet or knit and so forth, and, and they really have a different level of play. It's not that it just calms them down, but it gives time for that muscle, those gross muscles, those large muscles to be passive while those fine skills come into play. So when you're able to to lift into the humerus, the first thing you're looking for, again, is just that little bit of lift and you can bring in that elbow to, to come up a bit to cross the midline and down, right? So this is giving you that movement away from the hands without the hands moving and also going towards the hand. We practice this every day with driving. We just don't realize that. And then if it is there, you want to then offer a rotational midline crossing through the shoulder first and then through those elbows and then counter rotational movements. As this starts to happen, you will feel the dynamics of the scapula give way where the back can offer much more opportunity into that conversation. Like if I'm throwing a punch, I'm going to use my pelvis and spine way more than my five fingers that I'm hitting someone with. That's not where the hit should be. The power is where you need, but the power again, so what I can do through my shoulders, my pelvis, my back, still allows for those fine motor skills to come through, let's say for a hit. A lot of people don't have it. You really see that they don't have it through the face. If they're gritting their teeth, they're grunting, they're, you know, Sometimes it's habitual because the next guy does it. It's sort of like pulling up to a stop sign with a Harley and someone's got to rev their engine if the engine's going to just stop working unless they stop and rev it. Those are how some people look at their muscles. Their muscles don't need that kind of attention. This is where you see people that are amazing like a Tom Brady or Tiger Woods where you think that they're so calm, but really what they're doing is they have that ability to present with power when they need to, when they're playing. And you can say the tiger's injured. I get that. But you have to look at his history. He was remarkable for those reasons. Why? He played in everything. If it rained, he was out there. If it was windy, he was out there. So those kind of dynamics come into play. Not the fact that he can handle elements is that he uses those different gross or active and passive muscles, those fine skills, those gross skills. When you're shooting in a good against a good crosswind, right, you have to apply a different type of power through the club than you would, let's say, on a sparkling day of 77 degrees and little wind and, you know, everything's in your favor. Maybe you have a wind behind you that's going to carry the ball and even just make the load lighter. That's different between shooting into the wind. No different than a football player, a baseball player. All these things come into play. Or let's say they're stealing first, you know, and and you've got to commit to the pitch because you've already gone into it. But at the same time, you're seeing that happen versus when you don't have to commit to the pitch if it's a second and third space steal and so forth where, where they can turn around and work with that player. It's going from those gross motors to the fine motors. Now, how does this pertain to babies and space? Well, first of all, in space, this is one of the biggest thing that goes wrong in outer space you don't have those gross motor skills working. 
but you really don't have the fine motor skills working. Why? Because A, there's no rotation and you're in that float mode versus that gravitational mode. So it relinquishes that, that organization of force and float. Even though we're floating, you're not, you can't do a seesaw in outer space. I can't lift that elbow and then my shoulder back and forth. That little pump that I might get with running and bicycling and throwing something, right, is just not there. Now we're pushing a ball instead of throwing a ball in outer space. And this is where you really see not only a breakdown, but the biggest breakdown of the human body when it comes back to earth, because it's just got such a messed up organization over something so simple that we take it for granted. By the way, I'm talking about the humerus and uh, this isn't every bone in the body. It's just, this is the most obvious to work with. And the same thing with babies, the baby's there to respond to stimuli, to counter response. These counter responses are so important because this is the foundation of all your skills. I can tell you right now, any high powered athlete was a super baby, meaning they can just respond to stimuli. However, more and more, thanks to gadgets and gizmos that we put the babies in, and then also early, early uh, subjection to a phone, I get it. They love seeing a picture of themselves. It's just not necessary just yet. You're much better off with a photograph because there's no strobing effect against their nervous system. Their nervous system is going to respond to the interaction of the phone just as much as it's going to respond to the interaction of of the picture. And with the picture, they're only responding to the picture. I was raised differently. Not only did I have to have that sudden thought and wait two weeks to get to the library and hope the library had something in its reference section, you know, now we have that instant gratification of a Google or Safari Chrome hit. But those instant gratifications really can mess with their nervous system. I swear if right now Google said April Fool's and one plus one is three, we'd have a lot of people believing that that was new math because the critical thinking or that thought process or the time just to process is not there. It is the same with movements. Our movement vocabularies need time to process. They need what I call primitive stresses, something that they have to work around, get their teeth into. Not that it's difficult. It For some, working around it might be stamina, time, needing to do all that thing. For some, working around might be the problem or the cognitive processing. For some, it might be the environment and where they're working at, it's going out of their comfort zone. There's a lot to go into it. I hope this gives you something to think about with the way your body moves, but please, if you're going into injured athletics, injured professional, there's ways that you can work on it to add years to your career. And you might want to contact me. This is Michelle from Movement Lesson. I'm at movementlesson.academy. I'm at Movement Lesson everywhere, YouTube, Facebook, Thank you again, Movement 4.0 from Babies to Astronauts. If you want to learn more, get my book, You Can't Get to Mars Without Me. It's at youcandoit.com. Thanks so much, and I'll see you at the next podcast. Number 21 is up next. Thanks.